Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Our episode today is brought to you by Cathode Ray Media. Cathode Ray is a full-service marketing agency that connects government organizations to their communities. Visit cathoderay.com, that's K-A-T-H-O-D-E-R-A-Y.com to learn more or ask for a free no-obligation consultation. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today, we're here with Jennifer Olson. She is the Director of Business Development for the City of Marion, Illinois, and one of the new co-hosts for the podcast Small Town Big Business. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I guess let's dive into this podcast because you're the new co-host. Tell us about Small Town Big Business. Well, I certainly have big shoes to fill because Allison Hassler, that was the other primary co-host, uh, she has left to basically uh, further build out her primary business, um, but they have done a great job for uh, more than a year, dropping an episode every other week, which, you know, in the podcast world, that's that's the game. It's so many start and they get five, even 10 episodes in and then they just disappear and ghost out. Right. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. It is. It is hard work to put out a podcast every week or so, or every other week, or even every week. I can't imagine how it is that people are able to do more than that, because sometimes I think it's really, um, I think it's really fulfilling. It it allows you to meet, talk to all kinds of interesting people, but it is just an absolute ton of work. It is, but we feel like it's really important to let people know that. Um... Even in small towns, a big business is possible and that big things are happening despite our small population. Absolutely. So um, is it an interview show or do you just talk to each other? Do you have guests? How's that work? So we always have guests and our primary uh, guest list is people who have had some success in their business here in rural uh, Southern Illinois. We do sometimes veer a little bit if we find an opportunity to interview like SBDC or somebody who's providing services to those small business. That's good. Do you find that, I mean, you've only been at it for a couple of weeks now, but do you think that the podcast has an impact on the community as far as economic development goes? Like what, how would you quantify that? So I think the biggest thing is just providing some inspiration, getting people off of the start line if they're uh, worried or they feel like they can't step away from a, uh, a wage job with benefits. But also, uh, you know, I, I'm interviewing people and we, we have enough interviews, I guess, in the can, as they say, um, for uh, releasing through November. So we have quite a, done quite a few. We've just started releasing them. But you know, interviewing businesses that I feel like I kind of know, but every time I'm surprised, every time I'm reminded that there's no straight path, there's ups and downs and sideways and twists and turns, there's evolutions. And rarely 
you know, it, it kind of goes back to the idea that there's really no self-made millionaire. There's people who came from nothing, but everybody has a support team around them. Everybody has mentors. Everybody has people they ask questions. Right. That's true. So as far as listeners go, have you had any feedback from anyone in your community? I think um, the inspiration point does come up a lot. Um, people love to know. It's it's so interesting because when I entered the workforce, I feel like you were supposed to work and act like you had no outside life. You know, you weren't supposed to acknowledge kids, family. And now, whether it's social media or, or whatever the genesis is, people want to know the backstory. They want to know the origin story and they want to know who's behind the business and what they're passionate about. So that's the feedback we get is that people are excited to hear the why. It is interesting. Yeah. Maybe there's a shop that you go into, you know, once a week or so, and you have sort of a, a relationship a little bit with that, uh, that owner of that business. But then after hearing their backstory, it just becomes all so much more personal. And I think you have a deeper connection to that business. Yeah, it's definitely a loyalty builder. Absolutely. So how you work for the city of Marion, Illinois. So I would assume they're supportive you know, the leadership there is supportive of you in this podcast. What are they hoping to get out of it? So I'm very, very lucky to work for a mayor that is a business person. And he has very much an abundance mindset and wants to see people be successful. And actually, the building that I'm in today, which is also where we record, um, is an investment that he made. He has a foundation that he started after many years of being successful in the car business. And they bought this building and are building it out as a co-worker and incubator. So um, when I say supportive, I mean, I work very closely with the director of this building, Ethos of the Citadel, on developing programming, anything that we identify is not currently offered in the market. So we don't duplicate what the chamber does. We don't duplicate what SBD. We promote them. We encourage them. And we actually host some of their classes here um, at EPOS and at the city. But if we see that, you know, nobody's teaching um, people how to get certified for veteran-owned, women-owned, for example, you know, that is something we would want to step up and teach. That's fantastic. Do you feel like maybe it, helps to tell the story of what it is that you do by by interacting and having these conversations, doing these podcasts? Do you feel like the community has a better idea of what the um, director of business development for the city does? You know, do you feel like, because so many of us experience this, wherein we're economic developers in a small community and everybody sort of wonders, what is this economic development thing? You know, what is it you do all day long? Do you feel like this sort of communicates that to the community. It does. And I always almost get nervous when we get compliments about the good job that we're doing because I want to be clear that we don't we don't prompt anybody. We just let them tell their story. And sometimes we get some credit for things that we've done to help them along the way. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes they've had, you know, a great accountant or um, a lot of people come from entrepreneurial families where they've had parents or aunts or uncles that that showed them the way. But when we get flags, I, I do think it helps people understand how the city can be a part of their success. Gotcha. Good. I've learned along the way that 
when people compliment you, I feel, I think maybe we all do. I kind of feel naturally embarrassed. I just feel like, you know, why are you saying this to me? It's, it's, uh, it's, it makes me uncomfortable, but I've learned that just say, thank you. Don't, don't make it any more than that. Just, just take it and, and move on because you don't want to make them uncomfortable after they've, you know, stepped out of their comfort zone to, to tell you, you know, how much they appreciate something. So let's talk more about the city of Marion, Illinois. Um, how big is it? And I'm assuming it's in the South part of Illinois, but, uh, why don't you give us a little, you know, overview? Sure. So uh, we are, according to the census, under 17,000. Um, we have some heat mapping that shows the number might be more like 19,000 residents. But um, more importantly, uh, we basically double in size every day because we are the hub for manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, retail. Um, so we have a lot of people who are driving in for the day. And to kind of prove up that, um, Ison Manufacturing, they uh, make uh, car parts for the auto industry, primarily Toyota. They send out payroll to over 60 zip code. So we definitely are in rural America where people drive 45 minutes or an hour for work. Um, we are on an interstate. We are on two rail lines. And to define how far south we are, we're about 45 minutes north of Paducah, Kentucky. And um, to our east and west, we have St. Louis at two hours, Evansville, Indiana at two hours. And the thing that surprises people, uh, because as soon as you say Illinois and they say Chicago, is that um, that's five and a half hours for me. And so I can be in Little Rock at the same amount of time I could be in Chicago. However, that's about to change because starting August 1, um, through a relationship with Contour Airlines, we're going to have jet service to and from O'Hare less than an hour. So that's, we, we were- Wow, that's we, huge. It's huge. Like right now our biggest um, head scratcher is trying to solve the ground transportation piece of what happens when 30 people come from O'Hare to here and they step off and we, um, you know, don't have much in the way of, Lift Uber, we have one cab company, so we're working on some other solutions so we can make sure and accommodate getting people to and from the hotels and other places they want to go. Well, that's a, a really good problem to have. Is there, you know, you just mentioned that getting into the hotels, so that brings up uh, tourism. You know, is it, a, is it a tourism place? Is, you know, do you get a lot of tourists there? Yeah, so uh, we are... Nickname is Little Egypt, um, and that is because we were uh, a place that did well despite droughts that happened in the early founding years of our country. It is very rolling, lots of lakes and rivers. Um, we are home to the Shawnee National Forest, which um, covers 11 or touches into 11 counties. So lots of lakes, lots of forests. Um, we have a pretty well-developed wine trail here. Um, I always joke that we're the Napa Valley and the Delta because um, we're on the northernmost end of the Mississippi Delta. And actually, um, probably our uh, city that gets in the news the most is Cairo, Illinois. You'll notice back to the Egypt, we have Cairo, pronounced Cairo. We have Karnak. We have Thebes. There's a lot of 
that Egyptian carryover, but it sits at the confluence of the Mississippi and the Ohio. And so they're working on some Fort Field out there. So that's been in the news recently. Sure. Sure. Great place to be, I'm sure. Um, you mentioned in the in our pre-interview that you own a vacation rental. Yeah. Uh, so I lived at Lake of Egypt, which is about nine miles south of Marion. And we have a vacation rental there, uh, mainly because we had four people that wanted to stay with us, um, but not really stay with us. And uh, right. it's been interesting because we started that in 2017. And at the time, there were 10 vacation rentals kind of active on the, the bigger platforms. And now there are 58. So it has caught fire for sure, um, especially through COVID. So we get a lot of people who are meeting friends from Chicago and Nashville um, saying this were kind of a good meetup midpoint and there's plenty yeah, to the do. Midpoint. <laughs> and then um, just about 20 minutes down the road uh, from where I'm sitting right now, we have Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. Um, and so we get a lot of parents. I mean, you know, graduation weekend is booked out, all of the big football dates. So um, it's it's a great way to come uh, hang out at SIU, but still have the nature piece and do all the hiking and all of that. Well, that's exciting. Uh, you, you have a really sort of full life, all these different pieces. You know, it's so interesting because I thought I was going to be a big time advertising marketing person and my first real adult job was back here in Southern Illinois was as marketing director for an, an old school enclosed mall in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then after that, I ended up spending 15 years in commercial lending and then transitioning over into economic development, grant writing, et cetera. But there's really are common themes, and that is one, a love for entrepreneurs and wanting to help businesses be successful. And honestly, all of the things along the way have a marketing component. So much of life and business is, is marketing. You know, it almost seems like it's a, I don't know, it almost seems like it snuck up on everybody at the end of the 20th century that marketing became this thing that just encompassed pieces of every industry, every occupation, everything is, you know, everything is marketing. Yeah, it's fun because... Uh, we're a Google certified city, so we do a lot of training off of their platforms and then, you know, they have kind of trained sure. the traders and we deploy those out to our business. And yes, from my lending background, I can teach you how to read a financial statement. I can, I know those things, but my favorite and easiest and most fun is the stuff that revolves around marketing so that's always a better day for me when I get to teach class that's in right. that side of the house, the creative brain side of the house. Before you became the director of business development at the city of Marion, you were you worked at the Greater Egypt, let's see, the Greater Egypt Regional Planning and Development Commission. And before that, you worked for a chamber of commerce. Um, you know, which position did you like the best? Uh, I would hope that you would say the current one, but. Tell us about that transition and and uh, what you like about the new role and compare it to the what you were doing in the past. Sure. So I don't know for the listeners that heard Chris Setti, um, 
out of the Peoria area on your show, but um, Greener Egypt is very similar to his organization. Mm-hmm. It's a five-county regional economic um, engine and does a lot of grant writing and in the, I was there funded out of the CARES Act supplemental dollars. So I was sort of in an above and beyond position, sure. uh, not term, but um, during my year and a half there, we got over $20 million, mostly EDA funds for our area. Um, and I learned so much in that job and I did enjoy the regional nature of it. But at the end of the day, it was not people enough for me. <laughs> um, it was that that grant writing. I can do it, but man, that, that's tough. That's just a lot of heads down, cubicle work, right. and not knowing what season it is outside, and that's just not really me. Um, and I loved the chamber work. Um, I had a great board there. I mean, they were... I had it. It's funny because... You know, sometimes when you're in a board situation, you have people who are, they're definitely the worker bees. They are at everything right. all the time. And they get frustrated and they say, well, how come this person from this bank is, you know, on the board? And they, they don't even come. I said, you know, you really need, when you're curating a board, you're thinking about having representation from all your key industries. You're going to end up with people that are check writers and you're going to end up with worker bees and you need them both equally. So I had a great board and it honestly had they, you know, been able to provide benefits because my husband is self-employed and I've always been the driver of healthcare and putting away mm-hmm. for retirement. If they had benefits, I would probably still be there. But uh, two and a half years of, uh, you know, writing checks uh, is painful. You know, when when people ask me today, what is the number one barrier of people stepping out and opening a small business? I honestly think that buying your own health insurance is just brutal. I mean, for us, a family of four, it was about two grand a month. So I, you know, I went from what I made in commercial lending to you know, half or less um, running a chamber and then half of my salary was going to um, make sure that if we had a medical emergency, we didn't go bankrupt. No, that is absolutely the case. And, you know, I work at the, I work for Galveston County, Texas, and absolutely the primary reason I work for Galveston County is for the benefits. And, you know, for so long I was a, independent entrepreneur and I paid those healthcare premiums right out of our right out of the revenue and it's tough it is really hard and I can not imagine the fear in someone's uh, you know in their face when they say you know what I'm going to leave this job that has these benefits and I'm going to go off and I'm going to do this thing and I and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be successful I know you know what to do and I know how to do it and I know that people give me money for it, but I got to pay for those benefits out of my pocket. I don't think we fault anybody for, you know, making decisions based on that because that's, you know, how it has to work. It does show that we need to, as especially like chambers of commerce, as, as nonprofit organizations need to figure out a way that they can be competitive, if not in the wages, at least in the benefits. Yeah. And 
you know, the, the current director, I'm still obviously in touch is in my network and, you know, he's trying to hire a new assistant office manager and, you know, they're fairly above minimum wage in a very competitive workforce where, you know, we have, we have retailers, we certainly have manufacturers, we certainly have, you know, the HDAC that, you know, they're entry level with really no training, no trade school, whatever is basically paying, you know, what, what he's able to pay. And right. so it's tough. Absolutely. And I think it's only going to get tougher as the baby boomers continue to retire and the workforce sort of shrinks. It's We're going to have to do more with less and figure that all out. Uh, so what's the workforce like there? Is it, do you have so, enough? You need more? Like, how does that feel? I, I think like everybody else, we need more. Um, right. And fortunately, we have some very engaged um, community colleges that have uh, really pivoted to think about as much certifications as full-on degrees. We have some um, high schools that are doing really great work in the dual credit space and to the point that they're having kids come out of high school basically with an associate or some sort of certificate. The unions, a lot of them are building their own training. You know, they have the polls set up to teach linemen or, or what have you. So everybody's working on the solution, but we always need more. And, you know, to, to step back to our largest manufacturing employer, sending all those checks to other towns, you know, we would love to have all of those folks in our town, you know, sending their kids to our school, spending money in our grocery. But right now, like everywhere else, the middle market of housing can be challenging. Uh, a lot of high-end stuff, a lot of low-end stuff, not a lot in the middle. And that doesn't matter whether we're talking about um, buying or whether you're talking about renting. You know, we're, we're having a boom of apartment complexes being built, but they're coming in at a price point that's not always as affordable. And when we've had sidebar conversations with these developers with what they're paying for supplies and wages, they have a hard time offering sure. it for less. And also if somebody's able or willing to pay a thousand to fifteen hundred, like there's not a lot of incentive or motivation to charge seven fifty or eight fifty. Right. Exactly. Yeah, these are the same problems that you know, every place is having, and, and just like uh, the workforce, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. But it will get it will get better. We will figure out a way out of this. Confident of that. Well, and we're working on both those problems every day. But so are our business people. I mean, we have um, small business owners that have recruited friends and family to move here. You know, we have um, people who are um, convincing uh, grandparents and parents to downsize so that it opens up a three-bedroom that they can get in and rehab for a reasonable price. And so people are in there in the trenches with us um, trying to help us problem solve how to make a place um, for that's desirable for the workers they need. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, yeah. Uh... This has been great. You, you're obviously doing good work there, and 
I'm really excited to get to listen to these episodes of Small Town Big Business. Where can people find those the podcast? How do they how do they find it? So we're pretty much on every platform, you know, Apple, Spotify, Podbean. We have it on YouTube if you want the video component. So it's out there. Just Google the small town, big business, and make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss episodes. Good. We'll put a link to that in our show notes and uh, hopefully push some people to listen. I, You know, if you listen to the Econ Dev Show, you're going to definitely enjoy that. If anybody wants to reach out to you, you know, maybe pick your brain, talk to you, um, what's the best way for them to get into contact? So LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to find me. All my contact information is there. I know there's a lot of Jennifer Olsons, but if you add 618, which is our area code, you'll have an easier time finding me. You can, I'm sure, put that in the notes. Yes, I will. I will. Absolutely. I'll put a link in everything. Anyway, Jennifer, this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast today. I've learned a lot and really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me so much. And I did have one more nugget oh, that sure. I wanted to get in if we have room for it. And that of course. Is, um, we've had a bit of a revital revitalization or renaissance in our downtown, which has been great because as an interstate town, you get a lot of the national brands organically happening near the exits, but you still have to take care of your downtown right. so that you can... Um, have people continue to want to invest, you know, I say fight apathy, um, all of those things. But the magic has been really two things in redeveloping. One is um, the successful business owners that are redoing these historic or at least um, historic and important to them buildings. Um, they really are not just doing lipstick and rouge. They are doing the heavy lifts of roofs, HVC windows, so that these properties can live another 100 to 125 years in our community. But but the magic, when people say, why is your downtown different or more successful, is um, when we are in conversation, and we I, I give high credit to the mayor because he just is the driver on this. We're, we're suggesting that um, not just doing the building, but serve as a mentor and a coach. And you bring these businesses in, you know, be selective about the businesses that go in there. And then if they're, you know, we have a bakery that um, in her new space, her kitchen is bigger than her entire old space. So, oh. you know, the person who owns her building, who's very successful, has talked to her about inventory and hiring and marketing and overhead. And that has made all the difference. And it really is a win-win for both because it's a win uh, for the tenant to be successful. It's a win for the person who invested substantially in a building because he is a long-term tenant that can pay their bills. And then, of course, you know, the city benefits from having an active, vibrant, in this case, bakery and to draw people to their downtown that's successful enough to pay good sales tax and all those things. That's absolutely the case. It's a lot of work to to revitalize the downtown. As I think you you said in your pre-interview, uh, you can't downtowns can't be saved with band-aids. Yeah. 
No. And the other thing, you know, the city, we've made an investment in redoing the plaza and adding fountains and hosting activities. And, you know, I think too many times, especially in small communities, they have a you first mentality. Well, if you do this, then we'll make new sidewalks. If you do that, then, you know, people always want to see if the anchor fills in, then they'll add a small business next to it. Well, somebody has to be the you first. And you can't just be waiting for somebody to kick the first domino. Sometimes you have to push it. That's right. Sometimes you have to push it. That's what economic developers are for, right? To to push, push, push and pull, pull, pull when necessary. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. Thanks. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.